Hey, y'all, you're listening to the Join the Journey podcast with your host, Emma Dodder. To learn more about today's reading or to read along with us, check out jointhejourney.com. Thanks for joining. Today, we're in 1 John 3, and in this chapter, we come across some interesting verses. And one in particular stands out. Verse 6, it says, No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. Now, this might seem random, but hang with me. I want you to think back. This past year, A&M defeated Alabama in football, 41-38. to I went to A&M, so that was extra incredible. But just in general, it was incredible because Alabama's, if we're honest, basically the best team ever. Prior to the game, honestly, you would have expected Alabama to just demolish A&M. And after the game, after A&M surprises everyone, they win, you would think if A&M beat the number one team, then surely they'll defeat all or most of their opponents the rest of the season. But that wasn't the case. Even though A&M beat the number one team, something every SEC school dreams of doing, it wasn't enough. They lost too many games. They didn't go to the championship. And even though Alabama lost, they had made a practice of winning. Despite their very bad day against A&M, they still came out on top. A&M's best day didn't dictate their future, and Alabama's worst day didn't dictate their future. And in a similar way, our best days and our worst days don't dictate our ultimate future, our ultimate eternal future. Now, here's the thing. In football, it's fun and exciting to talk about what teams will make the championship. The A&M Alabama game was amazing to watch. The SEC championship's fun. Alabama made a practice of winning and A&M did not. I'm embarrassed to say it honestly, but they made a practice of losing. And typical practice tends to determine direction. Higher low one-offs along the way didn't. Alabama's practice determined their direction. Where were they headed? What was Alabama's destiny? Well, they ended up at the championship. They won a lot of games, as was their practice. Practice tends to determine direction. But that's football. What about in my real life? I mean, when it comes to our spiritual destinies, per se, these questions don't feel as fun. It's fun to talk about where a team might be headed, but it could be a lot more scary to talk about where we could be headed or a friend could be headed. Verse 6 is intense. What if I'm making a practice of skipping my daily time in the Word or skipping church on Sundays What if I'm noticing a sinful pattern in my own life? Or what if I have a family member who claims Christ, but whose life is primarily marked by sin? What then? In 1 John 3, we read, verse 4, Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, lawlessness here, uh, think blatant opposition to God's instruction, a defiant attitude, disobedience. I've decided in my heart that I know what God says is best, and I'm just not going to do it. That's what we're talking about. Sin. Verse 5. You know that he, meaning Jesus, appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. The message paraphrase says this. Verses 5 and 6. Surely you know that Christ showed up in order to get rid of sin. There is no sin in him, and sin is not part of his program. 
No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've caught him all backwards. Now, this can be confusing. No one who keeps on sinning has seen Christ. No one who keeps on sinning knows Christ. What is John talking about? He could be talking about lost people, but I mean, still, I'm a believer and I sin all the time. So remember, anytime we interpret scripture, we want to look at what the rest of the Bible has to say about the topic. And just earlier, in 1 John 1, 8, John wrote that if a believer says they have no sin, they're deceiving themselves, they're wrong. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3, 23. So what's John saying here in this chapter? Well, if believers can sin, how do we make sense of this? If we're abiding with Christ, walking closely and intimately with him, we aren't sinning because that would be in contradiction to God's will. And abiding necessitates operating within God's revealed will. When you're perfectly abiding, you're not sinning. But the problem is we can't perfectly abide at all times. We're imperfect, broken human beings. Let me read verse 6 again. Verse 6, no one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or known him. So when we're abiding, we're choosing not to sin. We're operating within God's will. But no one's experience is a track record of perfect abiding. No one's experience, no human who's not Jesus, has a track record of perfect abiding. So what does it mean then to keep on sinning? And this phrase, keeps on sinning, occurs twice in this one verse. A lot of Greek scholars have different uh, views on this. Some understand the phrase keep on sinning to refer specifically to habitual sins or addictions. But even then, believers aren't immune to such experiences. Some have used this verse to support the idea that Christians should be sinless and perfect. But based off the rest of scripture, we know that can't be the answer. And others take a more creative semantic approach and Adjectives like keep on being persistent in sin or does not continually sin get thrown in, but those viewed points, they just don't, they don't make sense. They can't be defended. So what is John saying? Is he saying that those who keep on sinning aren't saved? When he writes that phrase, keep on sinning, he's actually using what's called in Koine Greek, the perfect tense. And this can be kind of confusing because back in school, when we talk about verbs, or just types of words. We talk about past, present, and future tense. We don't really talk about the perfect tense. But don't worry, I'm going to explain it in English, not Greek. So perfect tense, it kind of like combines the past and the present. So think a completed action followed by results that are continuing up to this present moment. I'll say that again. The perfect tense, I want you to think a completed action, something that happened in the past, followed by results that are continuing up to this present moment. So there's an example of this in 1 John 1, verse 3. John uses the perfect tense when he writes, what we have seen and heard, or what we have seen and have heard, we proclaim to you also. So let's break that down. The perfect tense is saying, we saw Christ and what we saw has continued to inform our message to this present moment. One scholar put it like this, we heard him, and his words are still ringing in our ears. That's the perfect tense. Something that happened in the past, but is continuing in the present moment. So when we read keeps on sinning, and most scholars agree that's the perfect tense in the Greek, what does it mean? Is it A, saying people who are stuck in habitual sin aren't actually saved, or B, insinuating that Christians don't sin, 
Or C, is it getting at something else entirely? So remember our Bible study basics. Observation. Who, what, when, where, why questions. I'm going to answer a what question. What is contrasted? The person who abides does not keep on sinning. We talked about what abiding means. And the person who keeps on sinning has not seen or know God. There's the person who abides and the person who keeps on sinning. John's comparing these two people. Great. Step two, Bible study basics. What does this mean? Interpretation. I start by asking, what do I already know? I know that no one's perfect except Jesus. And believers, we sin. We mess up all the time. I know that believers were supposed to be marked by the fruits of the Spirit. But I also know that believers are saved by faith in Christ alone. We aren't saved based on our performance or good deeds or patience or kindness. That stuff doesn't save us. And I know that when believers are abiding, they're fighting sin. They're in God's will. But I know that no believer perfectly abides. Those are the things that could inform my understanding. So that's what I already knew. What have I learned after consulting outside sources? Well, we just learned most scholars agree keep on sinning makes use of a perfect tense, meaning something that started in the past continues to this present day. Something that started in the past continues to this present day. So here's what that could look like here. Guess what? Before I became a Christian, I was a sinner. I sinned. And after I became a Christian, I still sin. Now, hopefully I surrender to the Spirit and don't sin as much, especially as I'm sanctified. But nevertheless, I still fall short of God's standard all the time. I sinned before Christ and I still sin today. What started in the past has continued to the present. Now, hopefully, it looks a little different. So I make a, I make a mental note. Believers are still sinners. That doesn't go away while living life on this earth. And then as I seek to understand, lastly, I ask, hey, what other verses might inform my understanding of this phrase, keeps on sinning? And I remember, oh yeah, 1 John 1.8, if any Christian thinks they're without sin, they're kidding themselves. So John can't be saying Christians magically stop sinning. Instead of fearing a loss of salvation or thinking that the, the expectation for us is that we'd be perfect, we can actually take heart reading verse 6 as it's an encouraging reminder. One commentator says this, The perfect tense here is not intended to categorize a person as either saved or unsaved since even believers sin. 1-8. Instead, the statement is intended to stigmatize all sin as the product not only of not abiding, but also of ignorance and blindness toward God. Remember that compare and contrast observation, the person who abides versus the person who keeps on sinning? Sin occurs when we fail to abide and when we lose sight of God, when we take our eyes off him. John's writing to believers and he's saying, you guys, keep your eyes on Christ. When you take your eyes off him, you're not abiding and you're heading in the wrong direction. You're moving backward, not, not forward. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. And no one who keeps on sinning has seen him or known him. If you're sinning, you're not abiding. And all of us have the days where we just crush it at abiding and the days where we totally miss it. We're imperfect, broken people. But when we look at the rest of this chapter, we can be encouraged. The righteous behavior that flows from abiding can be assuring. It can provide assurance. While we fall short in sin, we can, as verse 19 says, reassure our hearts of our salvation when we see 
evidence of the Spirit's work in our lives that comes from an abiding relationship with the Father. The fruit of abiding doesn't save us, but it can assure us. We're saved by grace through faith, not on the basis of works so that no one may boast. And sometimes we just need that reminder. That's all we've got time for today. And I'm so glad we're all on this journey reading the Bible together. Thanks for listening. Did you know you can help support Join the Journey by rating and reviewing this podcast? Leaving a review helps others more easily find the podcast and read along with us. So we'd love your help.